Welcome back to Basic Brain Heart, the show where we celebrate and interrogate creatives of all stripes. I'm Hannah Camacho. Okay, I'm gonna admit it, I'll be honest. I'm a little bit of a pop culture junkie, and one of my recent obsessions has been the music video for the Jonas Brothers hit song, Sucker. And more specifically, I'm kind of obsessed with the director's cut of that video. I've been watching it over and over. Um, and that got me sort of digging into the man behind this incredible music video. And he really almost needs no introduction. It's director Anthony Mandler, and Anthony is today's guest, and I couldn't be more thrilled. Anthony got his start really as a photographer and ended up shooting covers for just about every major magazine you can imagine. And then he just continued to build his skill set and moved into the music video space. When he got into the music video space, as you'll hear um, during our interview, he ended up working with really the best in the business. He did so many videos with Rihanna. Um, he's worked with artists like the Spice Girls, Jay-Z, Beyonce, Eminem, Usher, Shakira, Taylor Swift. All you have to do is go to his Wikipedia page and you'll see so many more names and just be incredibly impressed. Um, you can also go to his website, blackhandcinema.com, and you'll be impressed just browsing around. It's really remarkable, the work that he accomplished even at such a young age. Anthony has really been creating things since he was a kid, and he references his mother as a really big influence and, and guide in his early years. But one thing I really appreciated throughout our conversation was that Anthony has um, such a command of what the creative process looks like for him personally, but also just a really great understanding of the creative process in general and just a very honest and open uh, viewpoint on it. And, and so I just really appreciated hearing his perspective. And it just amazes me how every creative we have on the show has their own unique perspective and it pulls something out in me personally that helps me grow and take that next personal step as I grow as a creative as well. Um, if you want to browse Anthony's stuff while you listen, I highly recommend you do. You you can find him on Instagram at Anthony Mandler, or you can browse his website I mentioned earlier, blackhandcinema.com. All right, I'm going to get out of the way now so you can listen to this conversation with director Anthony Mandler. Thank you for taking some time to jump on the show today. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. And before we dive too much into your backstory, I'd love if you could take a minute to just kind of talk to us a little bit about what you're focused on these days. What are you, what's your world looking like these days? Um, sort of like in a mixed bag creatively. Um, I am, uh, I made this movie monster that was at Sundance last year in competition. It's coming out this year fall in August. I'm very excited about that. That's fantastic. And and so we're working on that marketing plan, that release plan, and sort of how we, you know, the movie is, has a very sort of strong social component to it. So we're working on how we unbox that. And um, I'm chasing another movie for this summer, which is interesting. I can't really talk about, but that's fascinating and, and exciting and a lot of work. And then, you know, my day-to-day -day life is, is, is working in commercials and, I just recently sort of stepped back into music videos after taking a couple of years off with the Jonas Brothers sucker and the song's number one on the hot, hot 100 billboard. First time uh, in 20 years that a group song went number one. So I'm totally proud of that and having a little piece of that. I had, I had lunch with Nick today and they're over the moon. Um, and uh, I've just launched a new joint venture with Braun Studios, which is the company of Finance Monster called Black Hand Inc. And that's a company that um, we're you know buying IP and articles and books and 
commissioning scripts and looking for, you know, not just my next project to direct, but also stuff to produce. Um, that's, uh, that's what my day to day. Dad and having a baby come and new baby come in June. So. No big I like I like a full plate. No kidding. Oh my goodness. Well, I can't wait to dive into your past. We touched on it just a little bit before we started recording and I'm really already very very interested. So if we could rewind the clock a little bit and talk a bit about your background and and what elements of your childhood you think impacted you as a creative and just, you know, take us back kind of to your early days and and what started to get you interested just in creativity in general. You know, I was I was raised in L.A. My mother was a writer, director, producer, um, writer first. Um, you know, went to film school in high school and really was given the craft of film and critical film study at a very young age, much younger than most people. Yeah, high school. Wow. Yeah, 15, 16, seeing Godard movies, Antonioni movies, you know, Fellini, stuff like that. So it's really, really what I have known my whole life. Um, and my mother's sort of passion and focus was making sure her kids loved film and loved art. And sort of my middle sister is a professor of art at USC and my younger sister is an incredible jewelry maker and designer and, and has this amazing line. And really it's about being creative and, and, and living in the creative world. That is, um, what my mother's dream was for her kids and, and what manifested, so, so I, you know, went to USC film school and, and studied film in Italy in theory and, and came back and sort of had a deal to very young to make a movie that never came to fruition. And I'd been sort of working with cameras and studying photography. This in the 90, early 90s when you didn't have the digital medium. So it was very hard to actually practice directing. You could go out grab a camera and a mic and a, you know, 16 mil camera, microphone, record sound, cut film by hand. It wasn't the days today when you could just pop up an iPhone and have 4K. So, you know, taking pictures was a big part of what we did um, to sort of study the medium. And uh, that turned into a career for me in my 20s. It became a real career where I traveled the world, met amazing people and, you know, shot Nike campaigns and advertisements for The Wire and editorials for covers for GQ and fashion and met David Beckham and met Jay-Z and met Starstreet record covers. And it, it sort of like tumbled into this world of, of not just creativity, but obviously making a living and being part of marketing teams and understanding what the fourth quarter was and how you launch an album and how you market a show and a product. And and that sort of enriched my marketing mind um, and, and put sort of the creative and the business together for me in a way that I was able to slowly start building out a creative business in my late 20s, early 30s, where I was doing a lot of client direct work and advertising, but more also in, in, in photo shooting album covers. And then as I started doing music videos, doing both and sort of, you know, helping unbox marketing plans. And obviously the long collaboration with people like Rihanna and Jay-Z and Beyonce and Eminem and later on Blonde Del Rey, people like that, you know, was about sort of me helping sort of figure out how we launch music and visuals to a, to a, to a crowd and environment. And that comes from having an understanding of the creative and then sort of like really like embracing the marketing business side of things and, and what things could be you know um 
so that takes me sort of into my 30s where where I sort of transitioned to full music video mode and and spent, you know, eight, 10 years really sort of running amok in that medium uh, uh, in all categories and really focusing on not being put into a box. So they thought I was like Snoop's director. For me, it was about directing females and women. Then I met Rihanna and then I was Rihanna's director. And then I, you know, moved over into like, you know, just, just sort of like blowing the lines of genres and just being a director that people would come to. And I'm really proud of that. And usually it was, it was usually the photo as well as the, um, the videos. So I was part of the sort of 360 degree marketing plan. That's amazing. And not to interrupt you here, but, um, how did you, what were like some, some, I guess, tangible steps you took to keep yourself from getting pigeonholed? Because it just seems like your career is continually evolving and you have complete control over your own career, which is how it should be. But what are some things that you find yourself doing then and now that sort of keep you from getting pigeonholed? Well, I mean, I think, you know, it's sort of a like the, the trap that's easy to fall into, which is that you get paid. I'm, I myself am guilty of you get paid to do something you've done before. You know, because it's easy and, you know, sometimes you slip those in where you can and it's just sort of a money job, as you call it. But I think on the higher level, going out and taking chances and pushing yourself is the most um, gratifying thing you can do. And it's impossible to do it every time. There's very few artists that go out, you know, guys like Tom York, you know, from Radiohead, who it just feels like every project is one that, that challenges the boundaries, you know, for was like, but then you look at people like Philip Lorca, of course, he is one of my favorite photographers who essentially has been doing the same thing visually, but he's exploring new characters within that. So is one better than the other? You know, really it's like, it's, it's personal. It's like, are you, are you getting satisfaction from what you're doing? Is it, is it, are you evolving as a human being, as an artist? You know, life, life is hard and art reflects that tension and sometimes you just want something easy even as an artist you want to just go out and and do and just run 100 meters right in a sense right just climb down and just see what that feels like today and other days you want to go out and try to rewrite rewrite the story i mean i i i understand both sides of it personally you know especially in in music where it's like oh let's get the guy that did we have we have like a female artist and she's got that rihanna vibe let's get the guy to the rihanna videos Okay, well, this artist's story is a little different than Rihanna's. Can we embrace that? No, no, no. We just want the same thing you did in Disturbia. And you're like, well, that only worked because it was Rihanna. She's a one of a kind. That's why she's Rihanna. I really find it also interesting that you studied film so early, and then you're um, as you went to um, higher, you know, college, you became a photographer, and that. How do you feel that's impacted you as a filmmaker? Do you feel like that was so crucially important um, in your journey in terms of, of composition? Yeah, I, mean, I think the importance of the frame is something that photography teach you, teaches you. You know, the importance of the still image. And that was something that, you know, frustrated me as a photographer because I love the connection of images but it's something that I cherish because it it teaches you how to really study the architecture. I studied architecture actually in college before film, 
Um, and I realized that that all the things I wanted to build would fall down. I didn't love the engineering side of it. I loved it. <laughs> but what I loved was the feeling of imagining the space. And, and you know, I, there's this great book about Antonioni, the Italian director, who's really the I wrote my thesis about him called Architecture of Vision that deals a lot with the sort of subjective experience of walking into space and what that feels like. And and that is one that can be translated into, you know, the actual physical feeling of walking into space or the manifestation of that in cinema. And that's what that book was about. Like if you watch La Ventura, and tune in his movie, you know, 1960, won, won the Palm de It is very much about the subjective relationship of people with space. And and that that thing is very fascinating, even in a music video. I mean, you know, where you're like, well, that seems like overkill. Well, no, there's, even when you look at Dave Myers or Hype Williams, or you look at Jonathan Glazier, you look at Chris Cunningham, you look at like a Jamiroquai video where the floor is moving and you're, you're, you're feeling something with it dimensional space as is the artist that that thing that magic that happens when music and visuals come together and make a music video at the best level is something that has inspired a generation of filmmakers and not just that our our, our visual language in in fashion in art and creativity and whatnot um i uh i cherish the fact that i was a photographer you know, even though that whole time i was frustrated with the photographer and i really wanted to film but the same, I go back to that mechanism technique. I do, you know, all the time. No doubt. I mean, and and just hearing a distilled version of your story, um, someone who's in, you know, the beginning of their career and is frustrated, they might be tempted to say, well, it sounds like it just all worked out so well for Anthony. Everything was, you know, rainbows and roses all the time. Um, when you were in the early part of your career and you were frustrated, you were that frustrated photographer, um, would you mind talking a little bit more about trying to get your first big break, trying to get your first, you know, really big gig? Now. I'm frustrated right now. I, like my point is, like it never goes away. Like if you're alive and you're an artist, you're frustrated because you're 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 trying to get out what's inside you in some sort of version that is as close to one to one as possible. It never happens. And, and that thing about like what you feel inside and then what you're actually able to create, whether it's timing issues, money issues, light issues, creative issues, resource issues, agency issues, you know, people you're working with, collaboration issues, whatever it is, getting things out in a manner of how you feel to actually manifesting is, is somewhat of the biggest challenge. And that thing is frustrated all the time. You're constantly reimagining like when you, when you, when I come up with an idea, it's one version. When I pitch it, it's another. When I, it's another. When I edit, it's a whole new version of it. And 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 getting used to that relationship is something that a lot of people struggle with. You know, I've you know, I've made myself less precious about things because you have to at some point get into the mechanism of of the reality of what you're doing, which is that it's 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 hard to make it perfect. And you get people like Sly and the Family Stone or D'Angelo or you know, these people that like Dr. Dre that will make a record for 10 years and never put it out. And you're like, what are you waiting for? Like, you can do anything you want to do. But they're second guessing themselves because they're, they're feeling something 
And then when they create it, it's not the same. And maybe is our job to make it exactly how you feel it or is our job to make it as close as we can to that? And that's a big question. That's a big question that any, that artists, all artists have to answer for themselves. You know, I mean, that's why, like when you see somebody like Beyonce, who's, who just like, it just seems to be so perfect. Like, how the hell did she do this? And you realize she's just really gifted and her, her mediocre is most people's brilliance. So if she hits brilliant, it's off the chart. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, this process is personal and it's fucked up. I hate to say it like that. It just is it's really fucked up. And, People lose their mind over it. People cut their ears off over it. People, you know, kill themselves over it. I mean, there's just so many versions of this story. And you have to be possessed by what you do. But at the same time, I'm watching my four-year-old daughter discover art and discover creativity and discover voice and discover an opinion. And we've been painting since she was a little little baby, like going out there and just painting together and throwing paint, feeling it, or just watching her be decisive and indecisive. And every version of the story, and you're sort of like, okay, is it about, is it about the end product or is it about the process? And everybody would say that, that cliche, it's about the journey, right? It's just about the journey. And, if people love what you do, then that's exciting. If they don't love what you do, then it's sometimes that's really challenging for people to accept. Um, and, you know, I'm guilty of it like anybody. You know, you you read what the comments say. You listen to people <laughs> criticize. You you watch the award show and you say you're not going to. You, you look at the YouTube numbers. Oh, it did 19 million the first day. It must be great. You, Unfortunately, part of it, there's very few artists that have been able to sort of completely release themselves, I think, from the association of success and not. Um, and that is fascinating. No doubt. Do you feel that pressure mount for you now that, I mean, you've got so many um, really successful projects under your belt. Do you feel that it only gets harder each time because there's you've sort of built this expectation? Or do you feel... Um, now that you have experienced, do you sort of just, you know what, whatever will be, will be, we'll give it the, the best shot we can, or does that ever go away either? I mean, I, I, every morning before a shoot, I'm in the shower and I have that feeling in my stomach, like today could either be brilliant or horrible, <laughs> but, but I have optimism, which I think is a great trait of any drug, being optimistic, even like when I'm on a three day shoot and the first two days are just like, I'm way over budget and way late. And I totally missed the moment. You're like, wow, you get up that third day and you're like, today could be great. And that's what I tell people. That's the best trait you could have is just believe that today could be great and you could get everything you want and you have, it's like, it's like golf. Like you get like a great golf shot. You're like, I can be a great golfer. No, that's not true. It's really hard to be a great golfer, but the feeling the universe just gives you just enough to feel great that you go out again and say, I can do it. And, and that thing is one of the elements that match with other things 
you know, a natural creative instinct, talent. Um, some guys are just technicians and they're just really good at laying it out and studying it and then doing it. Um, I tend to sort of get addicted to the feeling of chaos that comes from being a photographer. So I don't like to plan too much. I have to work from a schedule and a lot of jobs I have to work from storyboards, but I always leave room to go out there and embrace the, the unknown, as I like to say, you know, you go out there and just sort of say, wow, we weren't here at four o'clock, but now that I'm here at four o'clock, look at the way the light is bouncing off that thing and casting these beautiful lights. Let's do this shot here. I know we were going to do it later. Let's do it now. And I think that some people get blocked into a mentality where they have to be part of a, a schedule because schedules are, you can sign off on a schedule and you can, you can like sort of amortize risk off a schedule. But what happens is that you just lose the moment. And, and, and by the way, I'm not, listen, I will tell anybody, hear what I'm saying, but don't do what I'm saying. I, I've been very, I have a certain personality trait that allows me to fight through things in a way that most people don't. I have a desire to, be, to win and figure it out more than most people do. And it gets me through a lot of hard situations that people wouldn't get through. And I'm not saying it's, impossible it's it, it's impossible to do that i just that's not really a strategy you know like and I, I don't like i don't like to sort of put that at people as a strategy but it's how i do it i i march the car i drive the car straight the cliff that's just how i am i, I want to risk it all to do something great and sometimes you win and sometimes you don't and um that's kind of that's really beautiful because I oftentimes in these conversations we do hear so much about how you know ninety nine percent of creativity is super super hard work and trial and error which it is of course but I love that you have found a way to also create room for some spontaneity because you just never know what's going to come out of that I think that's really beautiful. Yeah, spontaneity. That's really the key, right? It's like the the energy of chaos and, you know, like looking at Rothko or painters, Picasso, that, that just move in a flowing manner. Well, the problem with the visual medium that we work in today is it's regimented, expensive. There's units. cameras have to go back film. I mean, you just, you just, you're not working in, you know, a free form just, and, so how do you function in that? And, and you know, like, look, I, I made my own, I, I started my own company. That's one thing I did. So I controlled my destiny. So I could say where the money was spent. Um, I often, you know, I, I work as a creative and write creative and help sort of push things in that manner. And that helps. Um, you know, I started to, I remember being at an early age and saying like, well, why are we being shut down? Why can't I shoot more? Why is this over budget? Why can't I go and do that? And they said, they gave me all these answers. And I said, okay, so if I, if I do it myself, if I produce myself, if I change it, can I do it then? Well, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, now I get it. You know that, and that became my mantra, which is like, I just don't like the word no. It's just sort of in my DNA. And I think that's part of the role of a director is to not like the word no, because you can see people that are become pawns. And some of them are 
perfect to be big studio directors and direct big movies and just be guys that are part of that system. But then you see the movie and say, well, why does that look like X or, you know, why, you know, you, you, listen, I, Guillermo del Toro and Fernandez and Cuaron and, your, and these guys that are the best of our life, but they have been for many years and you see their experience growing up in Mexico, in Brazil, third world, first world, somewhere in between and this consciousness of the line, but they were from places where they were from what I call, yes, we can film communities where you can figure things out and not everybody is looking to kill you with location fees. There's not unions at every turn trying to stop you. There isn't a producer saying it's too expensive. You're from communities where they love the art of film and you're just able to do more. And, and that, shows in their work it just shows in 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 the mentality of how they create and it's it, now of course it's they're the best in the world and multiple oscar winners and whatnot but before that they they were just crazy guys from mexico city ideas and just wanted to push and were different than the way our community works and and um I'm fascinated by those guys and by that world. They're incredible. I completely agree. I love that also your your career has kind of been on its own trajectory. And I'd love to talk a little bit about, you know, for years, obviously, you were in the music video space, but now you're focused on projects like Monster. I'd love to talk a little bit about now that you've sort of formed your own company, what criteria do you look at as people are sending you scripts or as you are potentially working on your own scripts, what kind of work do you feel is worth your time these days? You know, it's interesting. Uh, people ask me this question a lot. What, and, and, and for anybody that is, you know, going to work in Hollywood or work, meet producers or like that, they ask me, what are you interested in? You sort of go like, well, I mean, I don't, you know, I love Michael Clayton and I love Scorsese movies and I mean, <laughs> the Godfather and three days of Condor was a great movie. And boy, I mean, Mystic River was pretty good. And, and city of God was really interesting. And you go like, wow, like, Oh, I love all these movies that inspire you, you know, and, and boy, I love Fellini and Godard and Truffaut. And, and what you have to identify is, is like you have to deduce it down. And for me, it's like, I love tearing landscapes. I love this, macro conflict that affects the micro relationship. I love people caught in conflicts, um, the kind of conflicts that change the course of your life and they have to make incredibly hard decisions. And they either have to grab the bull by the horns and become the godfather, like, like Godfather 2, or they have to you know, criticize and, and be critical of the world around them, like Michael Clayton. And, or, I mean, right, you can keep going on and on. And, and for me, it's like, I generally like tough characters. I like, I like, you know, things that unbox, re, you know, the truth. I like the retelling of truth from a different perspective. I love conspiracy and things like that. I mean, I love people that sort of buck systems. So I sort of like can talk about it in four different mentality, four different mantras. And then it sort of is like, I either respond or I don't. Um, 
And until you're able to craft something called an Anthony Mandler film where it's identifiable, um, you have to be able to explain it. That's really interesting. And, and as you are, when you do sort of attach to an idea or a story and you're looking for the best way to uh, put it on film, and when you're faced with a number of options, how do you know when, how do you know how to pick the right idea is, I guess what I'm trying to say. And I don't know if I'm making much, much sense with that. But when you have a couple of different ways you can approach a story or a theme, how do you know which one is the right one as a storyteller and a director? So I learned something really interesting from my longtime photo agent, Giselle Reyes, my agent for 15 years. I, I used to get the requests from like things like Esquire and GQ to shoot a, a page story. And I was like, I'm not doing that. I've shot 100 covers. <clears throat> I'm not doing that. And I remember, I'll never forget this. And she said to me, you never know where something can take you. And it was a simple, passionate, it came from a place of passion because she, she, she understood the path and I was being an emotional artist and my ego had been tripped mm -hmm. up. But she was basically saying like, you just never know. And, and it, she was right because that one page job I did turned into a cover. And so that optimism of looking at an idea, maybe it's not perfect and saying, I can do this, I can do that. And you hear like that script, that script was okay. The movie was amazing. But at the same time, you hear the opposite. Wow, that, that script was not great. And the movie's not great. So you, you have to find something in the character that's that, that identify with you and the world. I love stories about tough people. And I love stories about, you know, people that are caught in complex situations. So that's the stuff I respond to. Um, that doesn't mean that, um, you know, a biopic about Georgia O'Keeffe wouldn't be interesting to me, you know, but you, you have, sometimes you have to separate your passion for something for the business reality. And that's where you look for your partners, your agents, your managers, people to help you deal with sometimes your infatuation with something that maybe is not the right time right now to make that movie. It's a lot of factors. I mean, I, at Black Hand Inc. work, developing four or five different things and you know a couple of them are for me to direct some of them are for us to produce but you know it's a, we have the life rights of australia of um sorry we have the life rights of south africa's most famous detective um from the 70s to the early 2000s that's, that's something that reflects the, the society changes in south africa and the apartheid the post-apartheid era as well as his rise from being a sort of cop uh, to being what they consider one of the greatest masterminds of solving, you know, serial killers that ever existed. Now we have, a, we have, you know, something set in World War II we're developing that sort of takes us from World War II to the Cold War. Um, we have, you know, a, a, like a crime anthology in New York in the 60s, 70s, and 80s we're working on. So these are all things I mentioned and we're exploring them. But there's a direct passion for... The, the characters and the world building of it that I, that I appreciate. That's really, that's incredible. And I just still can't get over how many different things you're juggling all at once, but it's awesome. Um, and I really also appreciate that you're a savvy businessman and you've been sort of in on the marketing side of things. I'd love to uh, maybe talk a little bit about 
the pitching process and what you've learned in your time pitching many different ideas and maybe what you enjoy about it or what you've learned about how to approach it differently now that you've gotten um, some experience under your belt and, and have successfully pitched and sold things? You know, listen, the pitching process, whether it's on film or in commercials or in music videos, it's always going to come down to passion and insight, right? If, if a client feels that you're passionate, but you have a misconstrued sense of the world, right? Their concern is, oh, this guy is going to go too far. Or this will, sorry, this person, or this guy's going to go too far, or they don't understand budget, or they're going to be too hard to work with later on. Like you have to, you have to be able to embrace the 360, which is that you have to speak to the client as a client so that they understand that you understand where their product really sits in the world, whether it's a movie or, or a product you're selling. And then they also want to know that you can be a pure creative. And, I, and that formula, that percentage of how much of those two characters you are is up to you. And depending on the moment, I, I throttle between the two of them. So there's, there's a movie that I'm chasing right now. And I had to start that process by being just a creative and creating a visual deck and pitching the script and my world and the way I would build it. As it's gone on, we have gone into budget conversations and and scheduling conversations and thus approach conversations. And the last meeting I had with these producers, I had to put a producer hat on and say, as a director, this is what I do. This is how I break my days up. This is what I would push to post. This is what I would push to in camera. This is how I would attack this in a in the city in a city that is not the city the script is written in and this is what i would do in that actual source city and this is how it all put together and how i would shoot the action scenes and why i only need four days to do this and two days to do that and that is very much a producerial sense because a lot of directors can't do that they can't digest the actual macro view of it they can only do the micro view of a directing and I have been very sort of dedicated and passionate to being somebody that can see both sides. And I feel like in this day and age, you have to have that, that diversity. You do. It's, it's very hard just to be the pure artist and be like the guy they call on to just come and create. You, it's irresponsible in yeah. age. And so, you know, that works well for me. You know, that's something that that's a lane I sit, good, I sit strong in. Some, some people want you to sit back and just be a director and let them produce for you. And I tend not to get those jobs. <laughs> but I, I'm aware. I'm aware of it. You know? <laughs> Go figure. Oh, man. If you, and I'm sure this happens to you quite a bit, because no doubt you rub shoulders with young creatives and they find out who you are and they have stars in their eyes and, and you know, you're their idol. Um, when you do speak to people who want to start taking their creative passion more seriously, what are the types of things you find yourself talking about or sharing with them? Are there some common themes that you end up uh, sort of touching on? Yes. Make mistakes, make mistakes, embrace your mistakes, love your mistakes. Stop trying to be perfect. Stop trying to be something so fast that you don't give yourself a chance to grow because overexposing under see the problem with the digital medium is that it makes it so much easier for us to get things perfect and we know how to color but it's like 
make mistakes, feel embarrassed, feel like you failed, go home at night feeling like I missed, I didn't do it. And when somebody asks you why are mistakes important, what, how do you follow that up? Because you have to grow. You have to like water your plant and go through the seasons and grow. Like what's great about being a painter is you actually create something and stand back and it's like, oh, wow, that's shit. Oh, wow, that's interesting. Oh, wow, that's sort of where somebody goes in and goes, eh. Like, but it's, but like in film and like video and commercials, you can throw a bunch of gags at it, the flickering light, the slow motion, the anamorphic lens thing. But you know, it either works or it doesn't. I mean, as you move up the ladder from music video to commercials to film, it's easier to discern the difference between what's great or not because the scene either works or it doesn't. But I think we're all in such a hurry to be great and be somebody. And I'll tell you, I had my first deal to make a movie at 23, I'm 45, right? So I've had a long, and I've been attached to 10 big movies that fell apart. And, you know, patience is part of it, you know? It just is, it's like, have to embrace the process and know that you're never, I didn't think I was gonna be a photographer. You know, some of the best, some of the best, some of the best people in the world didn't start that way. They started wanting to be directors and editors, you know? It's like, you know, you just, we all have this, I went to USC film school where everybody was going to be Spielberg. <laughs> you know? What do you think happened? You know, Nobody one, became Spielberg. Yeah, of course. There's like one or two talented people, really talented people and, the rest, and they're who they are. And everybody else like opened coffee shops, became documentary filmmakers or editors or production designers, you know, gave up, you know, it, it, that's the way it shakes out. You know, it's like, yeah, that's incredible. Was Monster your first feature film, by the way? My first feature film that actually got made. Uh, I've been mm. attacked a lot of big. Yeah, movies. absolutely. It's just, it's just crazy. So that's a big victory for you, I'm guessing. I'd love to talk a little bit about that process and what that has been like for you. And, um, you know, has it been a bit excruciating because it's taken so long to get together? I, I don't know what that looks like, but I'd love to hear a little bit more in detail on that one. I mean, I was I was attached to all these huge, colossal Hollywood films that that um, that fell apart one after another, and and I sort of given up in a way, and and then this little six million dollar beautiful little movie about this kid tried for murder, you know, from Harlem came along, and I just sort of loved his the character's passion for discovery, and times that sense of flying too close to the sun you know blinds you and the brilliance of the sun blinds you and i could see a part of myself in although i wasn't raised in harlem and i'm not black and i, I didn't have that same racial relationship with the story i had a relationship with the story that that dealt with discovery and and in that i could sink my teeth into being the director of this and then be compassionate and understanding and sensitive to the journey of this kid and that allowed me i think the the voice to give it honor um i had just come off this very large apple commercial right before where i had into a book and here i am now in new york making a very small movie where i had no resources i had a lot of passionate people but no resources and that was interesting because it, it taught you to get down to the basics on to you know my 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 DP Dave Devlin, who had done a lot of my work with and who shot Monster, really worked with me to 
sort of deduce what we were doing to the simplicity, mainly the medium and the close-up and the importance of performance and letting the camera speak less and letting the actor speak more. And that, you know, I went in with like one camera on a slider, one camera on a steady cam, and realize the more you get into it, it's just sort of like, okay, two cameras on sliders and just hold and listen and watch and let these brilliant actors do what they're here to do. And, you know, when you have Jeffrey Wright and Jennifer Ely and Jennifer Hudson and Paul Ben Victor and Asaph Rocky and Kelvin Harrison Jr., you have these these sorts of like vessels of creativity and, and you're here conducting with them. Um, there's a beautiful power in that and just letting the camera sit. Because so much of commercials and videos about creating chaos because a lot of times your your talent is not that talented or they can't really dance or they, you know, were hung over from the night before, they're distracted, they don't really want to do anything that interesting because they're tired, they've been on tour. You know, we're there to sort of create chaos around them by, you know, juggling the camera and cutting quick and flashing lights. And it's really just a distraction. But when you get into great acting, you just sort of want to sit and let it happen and unfold. And that was the beautiful um, lesson. Yeah, no doubt. Did you find that obviously going from a huge project like an Apple commercial to, you know, sort of an indie film setting, did you find that it was difficult to get a group of creatives excited about the project when money is um, tight? Or did you find that that actually attracted the most passionate creatives uh, in terms of making that story come to life? I mean, it's always it's always complicated when you add money to the formula. But the thing about acting, Actors want to be moved and they want a space to work and, you know, they, they just want a platform to be great. And when you got people like Jeffrey Wright coming in, it's less about money and more about the craft and, and, getting, and getting in there and giving him that space and listening and not trying to over control and allow him to sort of like find his voice and just being in awe of what those guys do, you know, those those do i mean they you know they are absolutely just incredible this artists and it's very pure and it's very sort of it, it transcends sort of the the process of us trying to create something it just is that's beautiful have you found that um being a dad has really changed the way you work or um whether it's your process or just the types of things you want to be associated with now well, I mean, I think certainly being a father um, teaches you to appreciate the process and the small victories and the small victories in life because, you know, being a father is just like, you know, about watching them put one foot in front of the other and you just <laughs> true by every minute of it. And, and you know, I think it, it creates an incredible sensitivity in our journey, which which is something that sometimes in your pursuit of becoming somebody you forget mm. and that this is a sensitive quiet disruptive hard you know incredibly tough process and and that's sort of like life right you you know being a parent is hard it's just it's it's a lot of work and it's incredibly gratifying mm. At a level that nothing else is, and it's hard work. And some days you just, you know, 
damn, I don't want to do it. Can't. I want to get <laughs> tired. You know, you just, you just go, wait a minute. Absolutely. For, this is for my girl, mm. you know, for I'll do anything, you know. And that, you know, look, it's different. I mean, going out and creating, if, it, if it's what, you know, and truthfully, listen, it's um, the way my heart feels for my daughter, in a sense, is the way that it feels at the most creative moments, fulfilled, mm. full of faith. But how often do those moments happen? Yeah. Honesty, it happens every day, my daughter, every day, right? You, every day you're like, wow, this is incredible. Or, oh my God, she's amazing. Or I'm so proud of her. All these things that, that sort of like come with being a parent and being fulfilled from that. But you know, I think as an artist, it's rare. You know, I always say that like if you get two things a year that really move you, hmm. then you're lucky. You know, that's brilliant. I I seriously, Anthony, I can't tell you. I feel like I just got done with a therapy session. Um, but before um, we part ways, uh, my my one final question is: Is there anything that you'd like to plug? Um, I know you mentioned your movie Monster coming out uh, this fall. Anything else? Where can people find you and follow you online and keep up with your journey? Um, obviously, I want to plug my film, Monster. I'm not sure that will be the title when it comes out, but it's coming out, I believe, August 11th. I'm going to note on Thursday. Um, but I, most of my stuff I promote through my Instagram at, at Anthony Mandler. Not shamelessly, but the important stuff. Um, or my website, uh, blackhandcinema.com. And uh, listen, if you're meant to find it, you'll find it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Anthony, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a pleasure.